Before we do, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to explore an interesting theme that emerges in the Torah reading and the Haftorah portion, and then connect it to the teachings of Yeshua. And then I want to build on that theme, but the, the initial theme is this, that, that food and mercy and faith and love go together. Now, everybody who likes to eat Raise your hand. Everybody who really likes food, all the foodies raise both hands. Yes. And a lot of us know that you show love to others uh, with food. And some of us came from families that showed too much love. In the Torah portion, we're reading from the, the first part of Devarim. In English, we call it Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses, and the last book in the Torah. And there is a review of what has happened in the journey, including the successes and the failures, the strengths and the weaknesses of the people of Israel, the times when they rose up and were strong in their faith and their faithfulness in times when they were not. So there's an honest review. It's, it's not a, a, the kind of historiography. Can we say that? Maybe not. Maybe I just made up that word. It's not the way that many nations tell their stories. Because many gloss over the failures or completely eliminate them and whitewash them. And they, they glorify themselves as if they are a perfect nation, but we know better than that. The truth is we have our ups and downs. And so it's a time of review. And it's also a time of learning some lessons. And, and one of the lessons is around food. The lesson could be put this way, that it's important to God to show mercy to other people who are in need of food and water. And how, how is that taught to us? Well, Israel is reviewing with Moses these moments when they were traveling on this journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, and they were going through someone's territory, and they offered to buy food and water. In some cases, they were refused, and that was remembered. And in some cases, they were treated kindly, and that was also remembered. And through this, the Lord is teaching Israel a lesson that's important to show mercy to people who need food and water. It's critically important whether you like the people or not. It's a common decency to share food and water with people in need. So that's important to remember, and the prophets review these, uh, these lessons many times and say, 
You know, you think you're religious enough for God, but you're not. And here's why. Your religious behavior has become useless and even tedious in God's eyes because you're not taking care of what he considers important. He considers it important to, to take care of the fatherless, to stand up for the oppressed, to, to look out for the widows, to, to feed hungry people and to visit prisoners and so forth. And you've neglected all of that and you've been very religious and yet your, your religious behavior means nothing to God. It's a strong prophetic word and we'll look at scriptures from the Haftorah that speak of that so that we can learn to get something into our heart because there's something to be learned from from Deuteronomy, and that is, it's not that other people fail, it's that we fail. We're supposed to learn from the hard experiences and challenges that we've had in our lives so that we can do better for other people. Rather than feeling like victims and like everyone's against us and no one cares about us, what we are supposed to do is to transform the hard experiences of life into something useful. So if we needed food and water and others wouldn't provide it, that teaches us to look out for those who need it who are not getting provision. Do you see? And in that way, we truly become prophetic. And if we fail to do it, no matter how religious we are, we fall short in significant ways. So that's an important lesson but there's another lesson that is connected to that. It's, it's this, we can put God in a box and insist that he always work the way we want him to work. And I want to use the Torah portion to, to emphasize this because God provided food and water miraculously for the children of Israel. What was the name of the food that was provided? Manna, which could be loosely translated as, what is it? it? (laughs) And for everyone who likes variety in their diet, I'm sure when they got up in the morning and said, oh, what is it? (laughs) Not again. But the Lord was providing for sustenance, and he provided water as well. He provided for the necessities of life that Israel had. And that teaches us a lesson that though we, we love variety, variety may not be necessary. And we have to learn to be appreciative. And if you've ever been insecure in your food supply, then you know how important it is that someone would give you anything to eat. Anything at all. So the Lord provided miraculously food and water for Israel. But then there's a change. When Israel's going through certain territory, the Lord says, offer to buy food and water. So you know what that means. They're not going to be eating manna on that segment. It still requires faith on the part of the people because they have to go 
where God is saying to go, when he says to go. To be led by the Lord doesn't mean you do what he did yesterday. It means you go with him today. And so the Lord said, when I want you to move, my pillar of fire and my cloud will move and you follow me. It doesn't matter whether you've been somewhere for a long time or a short time, whether you like the place or hate the place. When I go, you go. That's what it means to be led. And so the Lord who had said every day, except for Shabbat, you'll gather up manna and you'll have it to eat. On Shabbat, you'll gather up, I mean, on the day before Shabbat, you'll gather up a double portion and you'll have it for Shabbat to eat. So the Lord says, that's the way I'm going to provide for you. And everybody gets used to it. And then he says, but now you got a leg of the journey where I'm going to provide a different way. You have to pay for food and water. And, you know, there are some tightwads out there <laughs> who say it's good when God provides for free. It's bad when I have to pay for it. So even for the tightwads, it required faith. But it requires faith to do what God wants us to do when he wants us to do it the way he wants us to do it. And if he says, every day pick up food and eat it, and you do it, and then he says, but today pay for it, that still requires faith. If you understand faith is faithfulness, and faithfulness is obedience in action. It's not just a thought, it's a deed that carries out our trust in God. This experience was not to teach Israel how to judge the nations, but to teach Israel how to learn what's important to God so that we can be a light to the nations. It's an experience that's, that is meaningful for us at all times, and it also helps us understand that God doesn't want to be put in the box. There are times when he is going to be 100% consistent and predictable and do things the way that, that seem to fit into a simple pattern of facts and principles. But there are other times when he'll say, I'm going to do it a different way. And when he does it a different way, if we really are people of faith, we have to be just as flexible in obeying him this way, which is unusual and infrequent, as we are in obeying him this way, which is usual and frequent. We have to learn how to adapt to the Lord and how to see things his way when he says, do it my way. Now, the Haftorah portion is in Isaiah chapter 1. And from verse 11 to verse 14, the Lord speaks with irony. He asks this question, why are all those sacrifices offered to me? Do you understand the irony? Because you told us to? And then he says, I'm fed up with burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. And yes, you come to appear in my presence, but who asked you to do this? 
And all the cynics could say, well, you did. But he adds a comment. Who asked you to do this to trample through my courtyards? Who made you think that I'm just looking for shallow religious behavior without a right attitude and heart? Who, who gave you this idea that you could just go through the motions of religious behavior and it would mean anything to me? Verse 13, the Lord says, stop bringing worthless grain offerings. They're like disgusting incense to me. Rosh Chodesh, Shabbat, calling convocations. I can't stand evil together with your assemblies. Everything in me hates your holidays. They're a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. Whoa. And then he talked about the remedy in verse 16. Wash yourselves clean. Get your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. That's important. Learn to do good. Say that with me. Learn to do good. It's not just impulsive behavior. We have to learn what is good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend orphans. Plead for the widow. What's good in God's eyes is that our hearts are right and that we do all things with the right attitude and heart and with the right purpose, that we pay attention to the justice necessary for the fatherless and for uh, the cause of the widow. Those things are important to God. And if they don't fit into your political agenda, it's really easy. Fix your political agenda. That's what God is saying to Israel nationally. Everyone's gotten used to being religious without including the things that are really important to me. And I never intended your religious life to be like that. That's what the Lord is saying. Yeshua said something very similar. It's, it was stated in our reading from Matthew last week. Matthew 25, you can turn there. By the way, who has a Bible? Good. Feel free to share it with the people who don't next to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, accompanied by all the angels, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate people from one another. As a shepherd separates sheep from goats, the sheep he'll place at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you whom my father has blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, now verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and me, you made me your guest. I needed clothes and you provided them. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the people who have done what God wants. Let me say that again. The people who have done what God wants will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and make you our guest or needing clothes and provide them? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, Aha! Yes! I tell you that whenever you did these things for one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did them for me. 
That's so important. It's part of this theme. The greater context of this message that the Lord has is how do you apply loving God and loving your neighbor? How do you make these two things united in your top priority? And the question is, do you get it into your heart or is it just superficial? Is it just something you say you believe in but don't do? What is it? And the Lord says, you know, it's tedious when the people who are called to love him and serve him are ignoring the most important things and focusing on the less important things. So we should take that to heart. Oh, but Lord, we're celebrating on Shabbat. Doesn't that count for something? Or doesn't that count for everything? Answer, no. Why? Because getting your calendar right doesn't matter if your heart's not right. It's that simple. Learn to love what God loves. Now there's this one passage I want to close with. It's from Luke chapter 10. And it has to do with not putting God in a box. The parable of the Good Samaritan is really designed to break thinking that's become ossified and, and without life and to challenge our thinking so that we learn, we learn how to think clearly through certain things. So someone comes to Yeshua and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua's, he answers the question with a question. You know, what do the, the scriptures say? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Yeshua says, that's right, do that and live. Do that and you'll live. And then the guy says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And Yeshua tells a story he makes up a story, as far as we know, though I like to think it may have been from his experience. It may be rooted in something that happened to him, someone who showed him mercy. But he tells the story of someone who was attacked by robbers, by bandits when he was traveling on the road and, and left wounded by the, bloody and wounded by the side of the road, and one of the high priests is going by, and you know, he's got a worship conference to go to. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know what that guy did, but. And then one of my boys, the Levites, is going by and he goes, other side of the road. And then a Samaritan, half Jewish, complete heretic, goes to this poor man and here, pause for a moment. If, if you are a charismaniac <laughs> and you haven't thought about this parable very clearly, I want to give you a, a thought. The Good Samaritan does not lay hands on the sick man and pray for his miraculous healing. Not that that's 
something that shouldn't be done, but that's not what's done in this story. And if you never notice that, you should notice it. What does he do? He, he lifts up the guy himself and puts him on his animal, his own animal, in his bloody condition, and takes him to an inn. He cleans him up, and he pays the innkeeper and says, take care of him and I'll come back for him. Anything else you spend on him, I'll reimburse you for. So Yeshua now has ruined everything. He's ruined charismaniac theology about healing. He, he's ruined this idea of Jewish exclusivity and superiority and even of doctrinal purity. He's ruined all of that for a purpose, which is to beat up our bad ideas in order to get our good ideas in. And then he, Yeshua asked this question, and remember the hero of the story now is a heretic, half Jew, who is anti-Semitic. And Yeshua asked this one question. So who showed mercy to the guy? And the questioners. <laughs> the Samaritan. And Yeshua says, right. He's the one who acted like a neighbor. He showed mercy. He showed mercy. Now, this is a profound teaching about how to value every kind of person and how someone who is maybe outside of the fold could have that heart and attitude when someone inside the fold doesn't. And so it's meant to sharpen us because it's a prophetic word to us. I want you to grasp that. But it's also a word about how God cannot be boxed into one way of working. We need to be open to the many ways he wants to work. And so if he wants to heal through prayer, hallelujah, always pray. He's given us authority to pray for healing. He, that doesn't mean that we can overrule God and that we have all the power to heal. But he's also given us the ability to become men and women of science and knowledge and learning and to learn how to do good medical practice and how to invent medicines and so forth. And some things now can be healed that before could only be cured with a bona fide miracle. And aren't you glad for that? Bill Jones, a pharmacist and member of the congregation, told me last night about a situation a friend of his was in. He was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and the lifespan without treatment was six weeks. And with treatment was nine weeks. And the treatment was bone marrow transplant. So to go through bone marrow transplant, you get three weeks, which isn't really long enough. And so when people have that condition, it, it was like, okay, it's the end. But there was an experimental medicine that was being tested, and this man got that medicine. When it was tested, it was originally thought 
it may give you 12 weeks. But after they started the test, they canceled it because the people who weren't receiving the medicine died in the middle of the test, six weeks. And the others were living longer. His friend started taking that medicine 12 years ago and is still alive. And Bill said to me, I'm grateful for the science. I'm grateful that there is medicine available for everyone who needs that. Because one of the worst things you could ever hear when you go to a doctor is, there's nothing we can do. So it's not an either or, do you get it? The balance is God is a God of knowledge and a God of wisdom and many great things have been discovered and invented and perfected by people of faith who said we have to learn how to deal with this. And other great things have been done by people of faith who said we need to pray and stand in the gap. And all of us need to appreciate those two different aspects because they work together for our God's glory. Well, don't put God in a box. You can try, it won't work. All it will do is put you in a box. In the end, you'll be in a box saying, where is God? I can't see him, and it's because you're in a box of your own making. Well, I want to close with prayer and just pray for anyone who, who wants to get out of your theological boxes. It doesn't mean that there aren't absolute truths and boundaries. There are. But... There are men, there are human traditions that may keep us from discovering the full vibrancy of life with God and faithfulness with him. So Lord, open our hearts and our minds. Let us learn to love the widow and the hungry and the prisoner and the poor and the thirsty, the immigrant. Let us love showing mercy to those in need. And let it be, Lord, that we're happy when you heal any way you do it. We appreciate the scientists, the doctors. We appreciate, Lord, the men and women who fast and pray. We appreciate them all. And we ask, Lord, that we would be counted among the faithful because we learn how to do our part. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close now with prayer with Aaron.